So, like I said, Pastor Mark is in Craig today, and uh, they're having a great service there. And uh, we are going to continue with our series called Focus, and we are talking about the, uh, vision, the vision, the mission, and the purpose of New Creation Church, of us as Christians. And uh, so really, you know, our purpose, Pastor Mark ended with that last week, and we'll begin with it today, our purpose is to save, establish, train, and send. And it's, you know, set out in that little uh, acrostic sets, save, establish, train, and send. And that's what we do. At New Creation Church, we are all about saving. We want to see more people saved and coming into the church this year than any year before. We want to see that happen. And that's why Pastor Mark gave us the challenge last week for each one to reach one. Each one reach one in your community, in your neighborhood, in your family. Each one reach one. And then you can leave sets up there. I'm going to keep talking about those points. <laughs> And then establish, establish. What's it to be established? Well, it's to really put our roots down. It's to put our roots down and get established in the word, but also in a place. We want to be established in a place, and that place is the church. We want to be established in his body. We want to be established here. And then train. So train really is about the word coming to us and us finding our place in the word of God, training ourselves with what God says so that everything we encounter, we have the answer on the inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is able to draw that answer up right in the time when we need it because we have been trained in the word of God. And then send. You know, we might think about only missionaries being sent, but every single one of us is sent somewhere by the Lord. So we might be sent out into a situation, we might be sent out into our workplace, we might be sent to another country, we might be sent to minister to family in another state, but we are all sent at one time or another. And if we have actually been saved, established, trained, and then sent somewhere, we are completely equipped to do what God is calling us to do and to minister to somebody in the, that we will encounter as we are sent. So that's our purpose. That's our purpose as the church, to be saved, established, trained, and sent. And we don't want to get stuck in any point. You know, we want to go all the way to the end of that process of growth, growing up spiritually. And that's why we come to church every week. So today, we're going to talk about primarily the vision, the vision of New Creation Church. And you can put that slide up too. The vision is every member in their place to see the glory of God, and to possess the land. So 40 years ago, like this is our 40-year anniversary, right, this year? Amen. Right? I think, Alan, right? <laughs> I'm putting Alan on the spot. <laughs> I think this is the 40-year anniversary of the church. So anyway, 40 years ago, uh, God did something with New Creation Church, and Pastor Mark came into New Creation Church, served for 10 years, and then when we took the pastorate, God gave him this three-part vision that has carried us all the way through the rest of these years. So every member in their place see the glory of God and possess the land. Our vision hasn't changed since the time that we started. We took the pastorate of, of this church. It has not changed. It's still the vision of New Creation Church. And so we're going to take our vision and we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah today. So go over there to Nehemiah. 
And uh, we're going to look at our vision and how it kind of fits together with this story in Nehemiah. So Nehemiah um, chapter 1 is where we're going. And uh, I have just been like kind of camped out here. I, I love this. And a few years ago, we did a whole study on the gates of Nehemiah and how every one of the 12 gates represents a part of our salvation. And it's a gate either that God is coming to us or that we're going to someone through that gate. And it was really cool. And it was called Arise because that's a big theme in Nehemiah. Arise. He's calling the people to rise up and to build, but not only are they building, they're also having to battle at the same time. And I tell you, that's where we are as a church right now. We are in a place where we are having to battle some things, but we are building some things, and we are building the church. And that's why knowing our vision and knowing our purpose and knowing our mission is so very important, because we're in a place of building and battling. So we go over here to Nehemiah, and if we were to read chapter 1, we would find that Nehemiah's brother comes to him and he tells him what the state of uh, Jerusalem is, that it's in ruins, that the walls have been broken down, the gates have been burned with fire, and he tells him that things are kind of in a mess. And when we're looking at Nehemiah, we're going to be really comparing the Jerusalem and the people to the church. And so we're looking through, and he says, it's kind of torn down, but the people have come back. The remnant has come back, and they're living there, but they're not able to completely possess the land yet because they are vulnerable to the enemy coming in. And so he tells him uh, what's going on, and Nehemiah's heart is so moved. He's moved, and he says, oh, God, that's not the way that your house should be. Because God's house should be a house where everyone can come and they're protected and they're ministered to. It shouldn't be a house with broken down walls. But even if we look at the church today, it's kind of in a place of broken down walls, right? The church needs to be built. The church needs to be strengthened. The church needs to be a place where people can come and be ministered to and there are no gaps that the enemy can get in. So the church needs to be strong, and the church needs to be strong in this day. So that's what Nehemiah 1 is about, and he begins to repent, and he begins to pray. He begins to pray not just for himself, he begins to repent and pray on behalf of the whole nation. And we see this over and over, like Daniel did that. Daniel repented and prayed on behalf of the nation. And when he did that, he really was an intercessor. He put himself in the place of standing up and really making a place for God to move for the nation. So Nehemiah does this. But Nehemiah isn't just called to pray. Nehemiah also has a heart to build. And so in chapter 1, the very last verse, verse 11, it says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and let the prayer of your servants who delight to revere and fear your name, your nature and your attributes. Do you have the amplified classic? Oh, good. Okay. And then it says, um, and prosper, I pray you, your servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king, who he's going before. And then he says this, for I was cupbearer to the king. And I love what God is doing in Nehemiah's heart, because he's the cupbearer. 
See, he's the one that brings the wine to the king, and he tastes the wine before the king does, and it's a really important job because nobody wants the king to die, and so if the cupbearer tastes the wine before the king tastes it, then they know it's good. If the cupbearer dies, then they know that somebody was trying to poison the king. So it's a super important job. He's a wine taster for the king. He's the king's sommelier, right? So here he is, and he's a cupbearer to the king, but not only is he a wine taster, God's putting in his heart to be a wall builder. So he's going to change. He's going to be, he, he has a profession, but God says, I want you to do something else and something else that maybe you're not completely trained to do, but I want you to take a place that I have for you. And so we read on in verse, or chapter two, verse one, and it says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, our tech, our, our Turkseys, our Artaxes. <laughs> okay, there are so many hard names in Nehemiah. We're going to skip a lot of them. And it says, <laughs> the king, when a wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. And now I had not been before in his presence. Oh, wait a minute. It says, now I had not been sad before in his presence. He's sad. He's sad in his heart. And it says, so the king said to me, why do you look so sad? I think I need glasses. All right. (laughs) Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let let the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when sad-faced? Sorry, I have to (laughs) calm down. Why should I not be sad-faced when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lies in waste, and its fortified gates are consumed by fire? And the king said to me, for what do you ask? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to him, if it pleases the king, and your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you will send me to Judah, to the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may rebuild it. And the king beside whom the queen was sitting, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you return? And so it pleased him to send me, and I set a time. And we're going to read a lot of this because it's going to set a foundation for us. It says, also I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors beyond the Euphrates River, that they may let me pass through to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest or park, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and fortresses for the temple and for the city and the wall and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. I love that phrase. The good hand of God was upon me. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it several times throughout this meaning that God had showed him something in his heart and God had equipped him to do it. And it didn't matter if the job looked big or if it looked like he was unqualified, he was ready to do it because the good hand of God was on him. So it goes on and it says, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanbalad, the Hornite, And Tobiah, the servant of the Amorite, heard this. It distressed them exceedingly that a man had come to inquire for
for and require the good and prosperity of the Israelites. So we see right now there's people that aren't pleased that he's coming and that he's doing this. There's people that are setting themselves against him, and we see them come up later. It says, So I came to Jerusalem and had been there three days. Then I arose at night and a few men with me, and I took, or I told no one that my God, what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. No beast was with me except the one I rode. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon's well, to the dung gate, and inspected the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And I passed over the fountain gate to the king's pool, and there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So I gradually went up by the brook Kidron in the night and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the city by the valley gate and so returned." And the magistrates knew not where I went, nor what I did, nor I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. You know, I love this. God just put something in his heart. And it was, and it was something he was meditating on, and he kind of knew what he was going to do, and he was getting ready to rally the people. But he wasn't just proclaiming it everywhere. He was contemplating it. He was getting a plan from God. He was spying it out. He was studying it. And you know, when God gives us something to do, that's, that's really, uh, I, I just love that he's doing that. I can just picture him like, like Googling, how do you build a wall, right? Like Googling, what, what, what does it take to make a strong gate? And he's getting himself ready. So then it goes on, and it says this in verse 17. It says, then I said to them, you can, see that the, you can see the situation that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we may lo- no longer be a disgrace. See, he saw the position they were in, and he said, you guys see it too. This isn't the position that God put us in. This is the position that we put us in. He says, we're a disgrace because even as Alan said, the people of God are meant to be in front, not behind. They're meant to be the head, not the tail. They're meant to be blessed. In one portion of scripture, it says they were meant to ride on the high places of the earth. You know, I love that. God's people are meant to be blessed. But God is going to do a work through Nehemiah and through all the people that will gather with him to put the church and God's people back where they're supposed to be. So it goes on, and it says, uh, Then I told them that the hand of God, which was upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, Let us rise and build. And that's the theme of Nehemiah, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah, the servant of the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us, laughed us to scorn, and despised us, and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? I answered them, the God of heaven will prosper us, therefore we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right in the memorial in Jerusalem, or memorial in Jerusalem. So I know we read a lot of stuff, but what's happening here, and we did it just to kind of set a foundation, but what's happening here, and I encourage you to read the whole book, 
is that there's about to be a revival of the people. A revival. All the people are going to get on board with this, and it starts with one person. And you know, revival really starts, and we are moving into a time of revival. And I don't know if you sense it like I sense it, but we are moving into a place where God is doing something in the church, where he is lifting us up, and we need to arise. We need to arise because the place that he has called us to be in is not the place we are in. And so it's going to take everybody gathering together as the church, and we're going to have to battle, and we're going to have to build. And so everybody has a part, and everybody has a responsibility. Now, revival doesn't come to people with small hearts and little expectations. No, it comes to people with big, compassionate hearts and big expectations. And that's what Nehemiah had. Nehemiah had a heart for his people. He had a big expectation on God. We're going to do this. And he prepared himself to do it. And do you notice that a lot of the things that Nehemiah, how he prepared himself, it was with himself in the prayer closet with God. You know, Shelly Gunter, our missionary to Croatia, she posted something on Facebook just the other day, and I read it. And she said, um, unprecedented times call for unprecedented times with God. And I loved that so much. And I read it over and over, and I told, you know, Mark that. And I, I, everybody that I was talking to, I was saying, you know, I read this. Shelly posted this, and it was so awesome. It hit my heart. But see, that's how Nehemiah prepared himself. He had unprecedented times with God where he humbled his heart and he got down in prayer and he gave himself to the Lord. And he said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Yes, I'm a wine taster, but hey, I can be a wall builder. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that if God wants me to do that. So unprecedented times call for unprecedented times with God. We have to arise. And you know, when God can get a hold of a person's heart, he can change a nation. And the Bible talks to us about nations being changed in a day. Well, how does that happen? It happens because of people's hearts being changed in a day. But it doesn't just start with, you know, the glory of God goes in and boom, a nation changes. No, it actually starts with one person who humbles themselves and who says, I want revival to start in me so that I can bring revival to the place where I live. And Nehemiah is doing that. He's doing that. So if God can reach people's hearts, he can reach nations. And nations can be changed. And nations can literally be changed in a day when revival comes. And so Nehemiah is a lot about revival. But now we move into chapter 2, no, chapter 3. And chapter 3 begins to list all of the different people. So 3 verse 1, it says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren. See, he told everybody, arise, let's arise and let's build. And it says, and the priests, and they built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it, and they set up its doors, and they consecrated it even to the tower of Hamea, or the hundred, as far as the tower of Hanul. And next to him, Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, son of Timri, built. And the fish gate, and the sons of the 
of Hashanah built, and they laid its beams, and they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And we're not going to read all of these names because it's super full of names. But if you're having a baby, go through this whole chapter because I guarantee you, you'll get some awesome, unique names for your child. So <laughs> there's a whole bunch in there. So anyway, um, but I like this part. We just read a few verses to bring this out. It says this one built next to that one, built next to that one, built next to that one. And it says that they began to build the wall. And it gave me the picture of what Pastor Mark brought us last week of those Roman soldiers. And how did they line up? They lined up with their shields touching each other, shoulder to shoulder. And that's how, and, and there it is, that formation that he was telling us about. But that's how they're building, too. They're building shoulder to shoulder. And they're utilizing families to build. It's not just the professional builders that are coming out. It's the families that are coming out to build. And God's house is built with families. It's built with families. And that's what makes this whole chapter, even though it's like, it's just, you know, this one built next to that one, and it's full of all these names. It's beautiful because it's this family built next to that family, built next to that family, built next to that family. I mean, it's like saying the Rosslers built next to the Haskells, built next to the Walkers, built next to the, the other Rosslers, built next to the, the Wolves, built next to the Piccinatis. I mean, that's what it's like saying. They all built next to each other and they all took their place and they did their part. And it was making me think about how this is this is representative of our vision, every member in their place. Every member in their place. And when every member is in their place, we build the house of God. That's what we do. So every member in their place. And they owned it. And Nehemiah owned it. And he said, this is my job. This is my section. And this is what I'm going to do. And you know, in the church, there's places that God has given us that we own. You know, we don't have a jail ministry because Pastor Mark wanted a jail ministry and he decided that he would go into the jail. We actually have a jail ministry because somebody else had it in their heart. They had a big heart for people and they said, people need to know Jesus. And so they said, we need a jail ministry. And Pastor Mark said, go do it. <laughs> and so they owned that. And they went into the jail and they've ministered to people. And we have seen tons of people get saved and ministered to from the jail ministry. But you know, here's another example. We don't have a extended table ministry because Pastor Mark realized the need and said, we need to send people out into the community. No, the extended table feeds people who are, are in need of a meal. But that's not started because he started it. It started because somebody in our church said this is some way that we can minister to people and they had a big heart and i said this revival doesn't come to people with small hearts and low expectations and so now these people got something in their heart every member in their place and what did they do they took it out and they said we need to do something here and as the body we could get behind them and we began to build something 
right? So every member in their place, and we own it. And not everything is gonna be started from brand new. It's not gonna be that everything that everybody comes up with in their heart, we're gonna go, yeah, go do that, go do that. Or we would be scattered in a million different places. But guess what? There's a whole lot of places right here. We have nursery and children's ministry. And why do we have that? Because some people got it in their heart that our kids need to grow up strong for the things that are coming against them. They need to be strong and they need to be equipped. And so they minister to our kids every single week because they found their place. And you know what? They might not be teachers. They might be something totally different in their five-day-a-week job. But here they are, they're teaching. Now you have a wine taster that became a wall builder, and we have people in the church that are doing all kinds of things because they said, I own this. That's, that's why we have ushers, that's why we have greeters, that's why we have all of these people who work all kinds of different jobs during the week, but they come into this place and they do something here to build the kingdom of God. Every person in their place. Every person in their place. So the church isn't built with just the gifts of a few. You know you need more than a pastor in a church. It is built with the obedience and the sacrifice of many people that come together that say, I will own this place so that we can grow and we can reach out into our community. And that's what we do. When we come and usher, when you come and clean, we don't have a janitor that comes in. We have cleaning teams that every member can be a part of. And you can be part of praying over this sanctuary and these chairs as we clean and lay hands on these chairs. And then the very next Sunday, see someone sitting in that chair, that anointed chair that you prayed over. I mean, that's awesome. We could hire people to do jobs, but God's good hand is upon us to build. We're not doing jobs, we're building. We're building the kingdom. We're building. So every member in their place. Every member in their place. All right. Oh, and, and I love this. Jesus is the greatest example to us of this. You know, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, right? So when we take a place of service and we sow our life into service, oh man, the rewards are huge. The rewards are great. There's so much more that we gain when we serve. We give, but we gain. All right, so what's the second part of our vision? It's see the glory of God. So go with me back over to Nehemiah and uh, Nehemiah 3.5. Now, it talks about a particular group of people who were building the wall. So we want to see the glory of God. And we said revival starts right here. It starts in my heart. It starts with me, and then it goes out from me, right? So if we're determined to see the glory of God, then we're going to take our place in the body. And in the body, really, you know, the church is an awesome place. I have to stop for a second. <laughs> the church is a great place. And, you know, one of the greatest gifts that God gave the church was the church, it's the people sitting right next to us every single week. These are gifts into our life. And the church is an amazing place for us to grow, for us to exercise our gifts, and for us to experience the glory of God. Each one of us, if we don't find our place in the church, then we're hindering our own growth. We have to find our place in the church and grow in the church body. 
Okay, so it takes me to this place of verse 5. It says, next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles and their lords did not put their necks to the work of the Lord. In all of these verses of chapter 3, where it lists all of these families who built and all of these people who built and God's hand was upon them to do it, there's one verse where it says, but these people didn't want to do the work of the Lord. <laughs> and it makes a point to say that they were the nobles and the lords. And it kind of implies that, like, they thought they were too good. <laughs> they thought they were too good to serve in the house of God. And we don't know that for sure. I mean, but it kind of makes it sound like maybe they were too proud. Maybe they were too busy. I don't know. But these are the only ones that are listed, and they're listed for all eternity in this book as the ones who wouldn't serve. I just find that very interesting because that tells me something about how important service is. We find our place, and then we serve so that we can see the glory of God. But what did they do? They took themselves out of that place of serving and there was things that they did not get to experience. There were ways that they did not get to grow. And there were parts of the building process where God moved in awesome ways that they didn't get to be a part of. I find that interesting. But then you go down in verse 8, and it says this. Now next to them repaired Uziel, son of Harariah, one of the goldsmiths, and next to him repaired Hananiah, one of the perfumers. And they abandoned fortification of Jerusalem as far as the broad wall, omitting that part of the ancient city and re reducing the area. And next to them repaired Rephaniah, son of Hur, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem. So here's another ruler who jumped right in. There's perfumers and goldsmiths, and it goes on throughout this chapter, and it says that another ruler of another half of the kingdom, he and his daughters built their part of the wall. And then it says the priests and the farmers, the men of the plain, and it goes on and it just talks about all of these different people. And it comes down and it says the merchants even, the merchants too. Every person had a place, and every person who took their place had the good hand of God come upon them. And you know, that's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. That's the anointing coming upon you. And I loved this part where it says even the perfumers were building the wall. Because there probably, at this point, wasn't a great need for perfume. <laughs> right? I mean, the goldsmiths, there would be jobs for them to do, but at this point, there probably wasn't a lot for them to do. So what did they do? They started laying bricks in the wall. And the perfumers did too. And God really likes perfume. I mean, God, what did they bring to baby Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And those are spices that smell. And his anointed you know, holy of holies has incense burning in it. Because I think God likes things that smell good. I always tell our, our cleaning teams, like, we want the bathrooms to smell really good. Because <laughs> people take notice of that. When your bathrooms don't, do you, do you know that that's in the top five reasons why people don't go back to a church? I know it sounds stupid, but <laughs> it really is in the top five reasons why people don't go back to a church, because the bathrooms stink. Wow. Seriously, right? But it's true. It is true. 
Anyway, there would be a job for the perfumers, but right now, the job was to lay bricks, to build the wall, to build the gates. Every person in their place and see the glory of God. When we take our place, we do so much more together than we could do alone. And what's the third part of our vision? Possess the land. Oh yeah, and I didn't say this. All of the people, when they built next to each other, later on in the chapter it says, then this one helped their neighbor build, and this one helped their neighbor build. And I love that part because it's part of the glory of God. When you help someone else, what, what are we doing it for? So we can show them how good God is. The glory of God comes upon us to help someone else so that we can show them how good God is and it grows our community. And we build the church. The church grows. Each one reach one. You know, as we're working on each one reach one, maybe it'll be just doing something nice for a neighbor so that you can tell them God loves them. It will be taking our part in the kingdom, though. So each one has a part. Every member in their place, see the glory of God and possess the land. So possess the land. Nehemiah 4. Go with me over there. Nehemiah 4. Now, remember those people that weren't so happy when Nehemiah came and said, we're going to start building? Well, here they are again. It says in verse 1, but when Sanballad, San, Sanballad heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and a great, with a great rage, and he ridiculed the Jews. And he said before his brethren in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things at will and by themselves? Will they try to bribe their God with sacrifices? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, seeing that they are burned? Now Tobiah the Amorite, Ammonite, was near him, and he, and he joined in. He chided in, and he goes, yeah. What, what if they, if they, what they build, the fox will climb upon it and it'll break down the stone wall. You know, that's just like the devil. Whenever you step out and try and do something, doesn't he act like this? Doesn't he do this? He tries to diminish what you're doing. He tries to discourage you. He tries to bring words against you. You know, recently I was on the, the wrong end of some, <laughs> I was trying to encourage somebody actually, and I got on the wrong end and and stuff started coming at me. And, this, and it's exactly what the devil does. You know, you're not strong enough, he's telling them. You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. You're not, you're not smart enough to build a wall. What do you think you are? Now you're the prayer person. Now you're the, the church lady. What do you think you are? You're a fake Christian. That's what people said to me. I got on the wrong end of some things, and it started discouraging my heart. And I thought, oh, man, I'm not a a fake Christian. I'm a real Christian. I love God. <laughs> but that's what the devil does. And what does he do? He tries to get you to quit on you. Because if he can discourage you and taunt you and get you to quit on you, then he takes you out of the vision. He takes you out. He tries to get us offended. He tries to get us in places where 
were, were discouraged. He discredits you. He says, your work isn't even good enough. You couldn't do it. And eventually, what's his goal? He wants to delete you from that plan. So he tries to diminish, discourage, discredit, deceive, so he can delete you. That is so not God. <laughs> his strategy is for you to give up on you. So I remembered this thing from a prophet, and I want to quote it. It's from the prophet Rocky Balboa. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> it's a quote, and it reads this way. He says, I can't say it in his accent, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows, right? It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it'll beat you to your knees and try and keep you there permanently, if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you get hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. <laughs> how much can you take and keep moving forward? That's how winning is done. When we talk about possessing the land, yes, it's reaching our neighbors, and yes, it's, it's taking our place, but I tell you, part of possessing the land is just keeping going when the enemy tries to discourage and discredit and delete you from the plan of God. That's part of possessing the land. Possessing the land means that we keep on trying because you know what? Anybody can come to a service and get super excited and go, yeah, breakthrough is coming and I'm going to run and yeah, I am going to dance just like that song is saying, I'm going to dance and get super excited in a service. But will that be sustained in your life so that it really creates change? That's what possessing the land is. It means every single day we keep doing what we're doing in the plan of God because we know that we're building something. And part of that, keeping doing every, keeping on doing everything that we're doing is the battle that we're in. And right now in the world, there is a lot that's coming to discourage you from doing what you're doing in the kingdom of God. People are even saying, I prayed, I prayed and God didn't do anything. That's not true. No time have we ever prayed and God not done something. God is doing something. We just may not know what he's doing and we may not see it right now. But I guarantee you, if you keep on day after day and week after week and year after year, faithful to God and faithful to his word, you will see what he is doing. You'll see it. We will all see it. God is doing more than we know. And these people came to try to, to diminish what they were doing. And that's what the enemy does. He says, you're not strong enough. No, you could never make a difference. Oh, you can make a difference. You know why? Because the good hand of God is upon you. Because we are battling and we are building, and that's part of the battle. It's just staying in the game. It's staying in the game. And as Rocky Balboa says, that's how winning is done. <laughs> that's how winning is done. And Rocky's right. He says, yeah, you're going to take some punches. Life ain't all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> Maybe it's a revelation this morning. But guess what? God's plan will come to pass. 
And so opposition comes. And how does Nehemiah respond to the opposition? Well, in 4.4, it says this. And Nehemiah prayed. He prayed over and over and over again. Every time the enemy comes, Nehemiah meets it with prayer. It says he prayed. And he said, oh, our God, we are despised. Turn their taunts upon their own heads and give them for prey in the land of their captivity. Cover not their iniquity and let not their sins be blotted out for before you, for they have vexed with alarm the builders and provoked you. Okay, he's mad. He's really mad. And he's saying, God, I don't want this to go unnoticed right now. <laughs> But he continues to pray, and then this is what it says in the next verse. So we built the wall. Do you know that he didn't get overly concerned with what the enemy was doing? It says, we prayed, and we went back to what we were supposed to do. We built the wall. And it says, and all of it was joined together half its height, for the people had a heart and a mind to work. I love that. The enemy continued to plot. The enemy continued. The enemy never knows what exactly God is doing. But if he can get you to quit on you and to quit on God, then he wins. So Nehemiah said, we're not going to quit. We're going to keep building. And he shows us this strategy of occupying really includes increased prayer and continuing in the work. So that's possessing the land. And over in 4 verse 13, it says this, so I set armed men behind the wall in places where it was least protected. I even thus used people as families with their swords, spears, and bows. I looked them over and rose up and said to the nobles and the officials and the other people, do not be afraid of the enemy. Earnestly remember the Lord and imprint him on your minds great and terrible and take from him courage to fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And it goes on in verse 18, and it says this, Every builder had his sword girded by his side, and so worked. And he who sounded the trumpet was at my side. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is great and scattered, and we are separate on the wall, far from one another. In whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work while half of them held spears from dawn until the stars came out. It says that they battled and they built at the same time. And that's the same place the church is in right now. To possess the land means that we understand some things, that we will have to battle and we will have to build. But I love that. He says that the person who would sound the trumpet to gather them all together was by his side. And, you know, it just made me think of like in old, you know, like Little House on the Prairie where they had the church and the school and they would ring the bell. And when they rang the bell, all the town could hear and they would gather together to one place. And they would sound the trumpet like Pastor Mark was saying, the, the reverie. Uh, last week they would sound it and what was it it was a call to come together come together from the very beginning God intended that his people would come together for strength and that's what happens when we come together as the body 
We come together for strength. So possess the land means that we reach our community. It means that we live in this land that he has given us. But it also means, like we just said, that we keep on doing what we do every day. But here's another thing. To possess the land means that we understand and know that we are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And as we jump over to Nehemiah chapter 8, it says that here they are, they had accomplished a lot of the things that they were wanting to do. And in 8.1, it says, Then all the people gathered together as one man in the broad place before the water gate. And I like that. It's not water gate like political. It's, <laughs> it's a much better place. It's the water gate that represented the Holy Spirit, that flow, that, that flow of life that would come to their city. And it was the most populated gate in the whole city because people were constantly coming and going, coming and going. And they gathered at the water gate. And it says, they gathered together as one man in the broad place before the water gate. To possess the land also means that we understand and know that we're the body of Christ. The body of Christ is one body. And when we separate ourselves from the body of Christ, the, we're easily defeated defeated <laughs> we're easily defeated by the enemy because isolation is part of what he uses to get you to quit on you and that's why COVID-19 has been such a horrible thing for people and for the church because we've been separated from each other and people have been separated from their families and that's one of the strategies of the enemy to separate people from people because God knows we need people. And we need to stand shoulder to shoulder with people. And we need to be able to hug and to sit and to encourage and to love on one another. And the body needs each other. So part of our possessing the land is being the body and coming together as one man in the church. You know, I was talking to a young adult this week, last week, week before, something like that. And uh, they have moved to another city to go to school. And so they were calling and they needed some help with some things. And they said, you know, we were able to go to church for a while, but now we're back to not going to church. And even though I'm seeing the messages online and I'm connected and I'm not just watching, you know, the church that I'm a part of here, I'm watching my home church, I'm watching this church, I'm watching that church, but I'm finding that it's just not enough for me because I really didn't understand how much being with the body fed me and strengthened me and made me realize that it encouraged me and made me realize that I was part of something. You know, part of coming to church is just the fact that we know we're not alone. <laughs> we're not alone in anything. We have a body that surrounds us and that's super important. We need that. It says they came together as one man. And it says then this, it says, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of both men and women who could help hear with understanding on the first of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the broad place before the water gate, from early morning until noon in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. 
And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden pulpit, which he had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a lot of guys. <laughs> We're not even going to read them all. <laughs> a lot of people. And it says in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above them. And when he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered with amen, amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with faces to the ground. Also, some other guys who were the small group leaders, actually, I call them. It says, they helped the people to understand the law. And the people remained in their place. Wow. You know, we need to be part of the body. We need to find our place in the body to see the glory of God and to possess the land, and we do that together. And all of these people who are listed here in verse 7, it says they helped the people to understand the word of God. We need people that we can gather with that we can converse with the word. And it says, so they read from the book of the law in verse 8, and faithfully amplifying and giving the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then Ezra told them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And be not grieved and depressed, for the joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. So they were building the wall and the gates so that they would have a stronghold. But God said, actually, you coming together and experiencing the word and the joy of the Lord, that's your strength and that's your stronghold. I love this. When we come together because we understand the vision and everybody finds their place in the vision, we see the glory of God and we possess the land, it really equips us for the mission, which is to love, lift, and reach people. And that's what he told them next. He said, now I want you to go out everywhere you go and I want you to take this with you. He said, you're going to take this. We came together in the joy of the word of God and in the joy of the presence of God, and in the joy of understanding God's plans for you, and now take this out and minister it to somebody else. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength and our stronghold. And even recently, you might have been discouraged to get down about news and things that you're listening to, but I want to tell you something. You get into the presence of God, and the word of God and get around the body of Christ and let's start building each other up because this is our strength and our stronghold. And when we do this, just like them, we are going to experience some reviving times that will then come to revival. God wants revival and he wants it now. It is time. It's time on the whole map of history for God to do some things like he's never done before. And we've been saying it this year. This year has been an oppressive year. 
but I have good news for you. It's probably not going to get better soon. <laughs> and we need the body of Christ. We need the body and we need the strength of the body because this is our strength and our stronghold. This is it. We need the body. So I'm really excited that we're teaching on the vision and the mission and the, the purpose of the church because when we're equipped with that and we know why we're here, we're not just here so that we can receive the word. We're here so that we can be a part of something bigger. We are building the kingdom of God. We need to know that. We need to know that it's not just about me. It's about every family that's building next to me. It's about me being next to them, being next to them, being next to them. It's about us strengthening each other. This is our strength and our stronghold. And it's a super important message. I mean, this is like the family table. You know, when everybody comes together and we're eating dinner at the family table, this is it. I mean, how precious are those times with our kids and with all of the members of our family? It's wonderful. And this is it. This is the family table. So welcome to the family table. <laughs> it's good. And I believe that we're going to see more and more people able to come back into the church this year. And it's really important because who knows what's going to happen. This might be the only place where we can come together and receive the strength and the joy and the building up that'll keep us when we go out from these walls. We need the church. We really need the church. All right. Well, I hope that God gave you something good out of this word. I hope the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart. You know, God restored their, their hearts and their homes. God wants his word in our heart and in our home. And uh, man, I know we're running a little late, but let's run over to John 3.16. Because guys, this is, this is the end and this is why we do it. It says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only unique son, that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, and relies on him shall not perish or come to destruction or be lost, sorry, but have eternal everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world in order to judge and reject and condemn or pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. You know, um, we have to come back to and focus on, focus is what we're doing, the reason why we do everything that we do and not get frustrated and not get discouraged and not find ourselves in a place where we're not acting in this kind of love. He greatly loved and dearly prized the world, and so he gave. And our mission is to love, lift, and reach people with this message. Amen. It's a good one to end with. All right. Well, stand up. Pray with me before we go. 
we're just going to pray a, a basic prayer that just kind of dedicates our heart. And if this is the first time that you're praying a prayer like this, then you are inviting him into your heart and your home. And I encourage you to do it with all of your heart. And he will come and he will rebuild your broken down walls. <laughs> he'll rebuild you and he'll rebuild your life if you do it with all of your heart. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for restoring things in my life. For building up the things that have been broken. I ask you, Jesus, to be the true Lord of my life. I choose to follow you. I will listen to you. I will obey you. Show me what you have for me. Thank you for your plans and your good hand upon my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God's good, you guys. Take that.